Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to be together. Rich, come on up. Rich is, for those who don't know Rich, Rich had, has been a pastor here for a number of years, lead pastor. He also is, has a ministry throughout China and much of the world in prophetic ministry and in church planting. And he was in town for a pastor's conference these last number of days, one of the leaders of this pastor's conference, and I was able to snag him to come preach to us this morning. So let's welcome Pastor Rich Gow. Yeah, I wouldn't mind if we just prayed the whole service. There's nothing that can turn the tide and disarm things in the spirit like prayer can do. There are 400,000 churches in America, and what if every church, every Sunday, took a few moments to pray? What if those 400,000 churches prayed every day for our nation, and what would that do? And what about all the members in those 400,000 churches? What if they prayed every day, and what would that do? In some regards, the destiny of the nation is in our hands if we pray. And so I really want to encourage you to intercede. Even though I'm in Canada, I've been praying and fasting for the United States. There are, in fact, be encouraged, many Canadians that are praying for the United States. There are many people around the world praying for the United States. There is such a sense that as America goes, the world goes. So there's a lot of investment in what happens here um, in America. You know, Pastor Kent quoted this very famous verse from 2 Chronicles 7, but I just want to tell you the on-ramp to that verse. In verse 13, the reason why God gave the prophet this verse, he said, if I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And then it goes on to say, if my people who humble themselves... This whole thing started with the virus, with the pestilence. So we have a, a direct command from Scripture on how to respond to all the difficulties that have come out of this. So that's my encouragement to you, is to continue in a spirit of prayer, to lift up all the government officials. And uh, indeed, we're in a very, very tense time in history, but we have the opportunity to change that course. Amen? Well, um, I was sad to miss the 50th reunion of the church last month. I wrestled greatly um, as to whether I should be here or not. Um, of course, there was COVID regulations that would have made it a little bit more difficult. But in the end, the Lord had given me a very specific evangelistic assignment that coincided during that time. So I had to regretfully um, not come but I'm so glad to be with you today. Amen. So in preparing for the message, um, Kent mentioned that this is a year of freedom for you, and so I want to jump into that vein and, and share a message out of that. And if you turn with me to John chapter 21, <clears throat> I'm going to read the passages um, from that. I forgot to bring my PowerPoint to Kurt this morning. So he quickly created a, a title slide for me and the passages I'm going to read from. For those of you that are note takers, I will be very clear to prompt you as to which point 
uh, I'm making, and so that it'll be very um, clear for you how I'm going to be sharing my thoughts. Uh, the title of my message this morning is Scar Tissue, and so this is what the passage reads out of John 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will come with you as well. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side, right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. They cast, therefore, and then they were not able to haul in because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, as in the apostle John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garments on, for he had stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got up upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up, drew the, land, drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for the everlasting life, for the encouragement, the power. Lord, how it's able to speak to our hearts and to encourage us, to lift us up, to draw us near to you. And so, Holy Spirit, may the power of your word come through. May the life of your word come through. May you use me, Father God, as I share the thoughts that you have given me. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many know what scar tissue is? Right? Um, it's tissue that's replaced after normal tissue has been damaged, let's say by a cut, a scrape, a burn, even acne. Uh, it's made up the same tissue as normal tissue, but looks different because the skin grows back differently. And as a result, it leaves a scar, a permanent mark, and it doesn't feel as soft or flexible as normal tissue. And some of you may have scar tissue, and so you know what I'm talking about. My first job in high school was as a cook for A&W. For those of you that don't know what A&W stands for, it stands for hamburgers and root beer. That's what we were taught when we were trained in 
Actually, it's the initials of the founders. But I had just gotten my license. I was 16 year olds in high school, and I was able to drive to work to the A&W just at the edge of town. Back then, A&W had car bays that you could drive into, order from. They're like the Sonics that we go to today. And uh, it was fun. And I was a, a short order cook. And back in those days, there were no apps. They would call in the orders. And we, as the short order cooks, had to call back the orders. Two popper burgers, a teen burger without pickles, a baby burger, no onions, a corn dog, two fries, and two root beers. And so we had to be very good at listening and also repeating those orders. There's great training as young teenagers. I remember having to come in, prep the condiments, slice the tomatoes, make sure the buckets of pickles were ready, hooking up the CO2 tanks for gassing up the soda syrups. It was a great job. I hate to admit this, but minimum wage back then was $2.15. I guess I am aging myself. But buying a pair of Levi's was only $15, so it all worked out. Now, as a cook, whenever we closed, we had to close down the grill, and this is where things got a little dangerous because the grease from the day that had accumulated was still hot, and we would use these steel bricks to clean down the grill. And one night while I was closing down, I wasn't very careful and accidentally splashed a bunch of hot grease onto my arms. And instantly, you could hear the sizzling, sorry. And my arm puffed up with several boils, and I just, oh, just screaming. And everyone in the kitchen was like, what happened? I said, oh my gosh, I got this hot grease on my arm. And the manager came over, and he goes, man, just, just put it under cold water. You know, get back to your house as soon as you can. Looking back, I probably had a second or third degree burn. I never did go to the doctor, but I never forgot how much it hurt. And by the time I'd gotten home, the boils had formed and there was water underneath. And so it was, it was a pretty bad accident. Now I bring up scar tissue because I see so many people coming into our churches today that are experiencing pain and suffering and trauma. It breaks my heart to see so many of the next generation coming in, and they already have so much scar tissue. Where was the covering in their life? Where was the protection in their life? What is going on that people are so damaged by, they, by the time they come in to the church? And of course, I'm not referring to physical scar tissue. I'm referring to emotional and spiritual scar tissue. It's heartbreaking. And people can seem good on the outside, but on the inside, they are carrying a lot of wounds. Well, our passage today talks about a top leader in the Bible that had some serious scar tissue. Of course, his name was Peter. Peter had a powerful call on his life to lead the first Christian church. But before he could do that, God had to do some serious healing in Peter's life because he had made some big mistakes. Remember in Matthew chapter 16, when all the crowds are swirling and trying to figure out who this Jesus is. And Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he had that great revelation. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you've nailed it. This revelation was not given to you by man. It was not given to you by the rabbi in the synagogue. It was given to you by the Holy Spirit. He was the A student in the class at that point. And then shortly thereafter, Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, 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 no. We don't want that to happen. God forbid that you would die. And in a very unusual moment, 
Jesus says to Peter, one of his best friends, get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty strong rebuke. Have you ever said that to your best friend? Have you ever said that? Don't ever say it to your spouse. <laughs> but Jesus was saying this to Peter. In that moment, the Bible records there are three times where Satan directly attacked Jesus. One was in the desert, right? The God allowed Jesus to be transported by Satan. Another time was when Judas betrayed Jesus. The scripture says Satan entered into Judas, and this is the third time. And Jesus saw through the smoke screen as much as Peter's human affection wanted to stop him. He said, get behind me, Satan. So Peter went from this emotional high, having this great revelation to being in the doghouse because he said something was, that was very unedifying for the Lord. Then we remember in John 18, so they're in the garden, and Jesus is now in one of the tensest moments of his life. The guards are coming to arrest him, and Peter, God bless him, still wants to protect the Lord. So he takes out his sword, and he cuts off the ear of Malchus, the high priest slave. And Jesus again had to rebuke him, saying, those who live by the sword die by the sword. To add salt to the wound, Peter was doing these things in front of a lot of people and the other brethren, the other disciples. So the embarrassment level was very, very high. Scar tissue was building up in his life. And then, of course, we know Peter said, I'm going to follow you to the very end. I will not deny you. And all the other disciples says, yeah, we're not going to deny you. But then in the intensity of that moment, the scripture says that Peter denied him three times and even cursed, denying that he knew Jesus. That's a lot of failure that Peter went through. And his denial of the Lord was the biggest mistake of them all. Scar tissue comes into our life. A lot of bad memories start building up. A lot of bad conclusions about oneself. I'm a failure. I'm no good. I'm a jerk. Why did this happen to me? I'm so upset. I'm mad. And so guilt and shame becomes our friend. There's this embarrassment that, we that comes with us like shadows. And we don't know how to cope with our past. And what does God do with all this stuff? Well, this passage gives us a beautiful picture of how God comes to touch and heal us. And I want to draw three main points on how Jesus restores us. So if you're taking notes, the first point is this. The first thing that God does is to show us how his blessing is still on our life. When we fail, many of us think, that's it, it's over. God can't bless me anymore, or he will only bless me commensurate to all my failures. Like if I'm really holy, if I really walk with God, if I do my quiet time, then he can really bless me. But oh my gosh, I haven't read the Bible for weeks. I haven't prayed. Pastor Rich talked about praying for the nation. I didn't even know I was supposed to pray for the nation. Now I feel even more guilt. And so God can only bless me this much because this is how I feel as a Christian. I'm not worthy but you know what? It's never been about that. It's never been just how you feel. But the scar tissue continues to preach to you. And so your heart condemns you. And we don't have confidence before God. On top of it, Satan constantly reminds us of our failure. 
The cassette tape continues to play. There seems to be no pause or stop button. The voice is always running in our head or reminding us. And so no doubt Peter's denial was fresh in his mind. We're talking just a couple weeks removed from the denial, his denial of Jesus. It was a cloud that hung over his head. But what did Jesus do but recreate a scene in Peter's life from just three years earlier? In Luke chapter 5, told us one of the first encounters that Peter had with Jesus. It was a fishing scene, right? Jesus is coming on to the, the shore where Peter is, and Peter's fishing all night, catches nothing. But Jesus at that time said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So at that time, Peter, of course, didn't know Jesus, and you're just a rabbi. What do you know about fishing? We've done this our whole lives. But okay, because you're honored by the people, I'll do what you say. But there was no faith in his heart. There was no trust in what Jesus said, but he still did it. And of course, in Luke 5, it says that the nets became so full of the fish as he let down the nets. As a result of that, Peter's heart was revealed, and he understood that he was in unbelief, and so he repents and he leaves everything to follow Jesus. He'll never forget that day in which he surrendered to the Lord. Now, three and a half years later, we have the exact same scene. Peter is fishing again, and Jesus is there. And he and the disciples are kept from seeing that it's Jesus. They're blinded at that time. They fished all night. No success, as it said in verse 3. Nothing. Then Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. Does this sound familiar? Peter, does, does something come back to you? Is something triggered? Of course it does, and it's supposed to. And the Bible says in verse 6 and 7, immediately the fish began filling the nets to the point they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And at that moment, they all recognized Jesus. Jesus wanted Peter to know, my blessing is still on your life. In the same way that God blessed Peter as he came to Christ, Jesus wanted to know, Peter, that that same blessing will be with you despite your failure. The blessing had not lifted. It was not gone. Jesus was saying to him, you might have denied me those three times, but I am not denying you, and I will still fill your nets. Now, the Bible gives this wonderful little detail in verse 11, part D. The net was not torn. In the first filling of the nets, the net did tear, but now they didn't. So God is sending an extra special signal to Peter. My blessing is still on you without regret. There are no holes in my blessing. It's amazing. Can't imagine how Peter must have felt the healing the release, the forgiveness that started to come to him. Now, additionally, Jesus did this in front of the other disciples. He wanted the other ten, minus Judas, to know that his hand of blessing had not lifted from Peter. Peter had failed so spectacularly in front of all his comrades, but God assembled them again to say, you know what? He's not damaged goods. He's still going to be your leader. My anointing is still on him. My blessing is still on him. This was a moment that was so clear and tangible and so real to Peter. It was a moment of restoration. 
Peter could begin to go back. And every time the enemy would remind him, he would remind the devil of what God had done to restore him. God still fills my boat with good things. And the Bible actually counted. It actually records the number of fish that were caught, 153 of them. All large fish, not tiny little blessings, big ones. You're fishermen here in Minnesota, big northern pike or big walleye, heavy laden fish. And we need to count our blessings, 153 of them. We need to recognize, quantify it because the blessings are that tangible. God gave me a raise. He helped me get into a house. He helped me get a job that I prayed for for months. He healed me when the doctor said there was no hope. These are all signs of God's ongoing love and goodness. We may have failed. We might have history, but God redeems. The scar tissue of the past is not your defining mark going forward. Now, what happens when we taste the kindness of God in this way? Point 1A. We abandon ourselves afresh to God. If you get touched by God in this way, don't you just go wild for him? In verse 7, it says that Peter threw himself into the sea when he realized it was the Lord that did the miracle. In the first filling of the net, Peter surrendered his life to Jesus as Savior. Now in the second filling of the net, Peter threw himself into the sea of God's pastoral care. Every time God comes to affirm us, it moves us to deepen, to deeper places in Him. We fall in love with Him over and over again. Then 1B, another thing that we see in this passage, we see how Peter's healing was a function of obedience. What heals us the fastest, deepest, and in the most complete way is to obey God. When Peter's net was filled with 153 fish, another way we can look at it is that Peter's obedience to put down the net led to the blessing and the fruitfulness. Obedience is the great healer of the soul. Obedience is trusting in God's wisdom. Obedience leads to a bountiful harvest. Is God telling you to let your nets down again? Is he telling you to do something you've heard before? Oh, no, not that again. But you haven't done it. When you put your nets down on the right side, that's what literally the scripture says, cast your nets on the right side. I'm not going to make a political joke on that one. When you put your nets on the right side and not the wrong side, which is to say, do it God's way and not your way. You will pull in the 153 fish. You felt empty. You are going to feel so fulfilled because you did it God's way. Obedience is the key. Leads to powerful healing. Scar tissue being massaged and removed. Additionally, we see this obedience, point 1C, leads to revelation. Only after they obeyed did they see God, right? Their eyes were veiled, but then when they followed the instructions to let down the nets, they saw the Lord. Every time you obey God, you will grow in your revelation of Jesus. We as Greeks, trained in the Greek tradition, classroom, lecture, regurgitate the answers, 
We're so geared towards using our mind and understanding before we actually obey God. But the kingdom, divine order is to obey first. I am the way and then the truth and then the life. But we like to say, oh, Jesus is the truth and the way. No, when we obey, our eyes are open. The eyes of our heart receives a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we see Jesus like never before. And this is what happened. How Peter's scar tissue began to get healed. He obeyed first and then he saw the Lord. Do you have a hard time seeing God? Have you had a hard time sensing his presence? Maybe it's because you haven't yet acted on the promptings that God has been giving you. Could it be that you're insisting on putting your nets on your side of the boat and not on God's side? But if you will change and do it God's way, revelation will come and you will see God with clarity like you've never done before. So in this first point, Jesus came to show Peter his blessing was still on Peter's life despite his failure. Point number two, how does Jesus heal us of our scar tissue? He reverses the crippling feelings of our past. Memories are some of the most powerful things that we possess. It's the voice that keeps speaking in our life, the feelings that keep bubbling up. And those feelings can be for good or for bad. Now, on the good side, we all know the saying, let's make memories, right? Why, why do we say that? Because memories are something that we use to revisit, to make our heart joyful and happy. We can have funny and inspiring moments. I think of all the vacations that my family has gone on and the amazing memories that we have from sleeping on the floors of the Geneva airport to soaking in the majesty of the Redwood Forest to getting caught in typhoon rains in Taiwan. These memories can be as big as seeing the Swiss Alps, which we have, or as little as eating fresh tacos in Portland, Oregon, which we have. They can serve as, be as nerve-wracking as family members getting lost in Rome, which happened, or as charming as buying groceries at the 7-Eleven store in Japan. Memories are powerful, but they can also be painful. And painful ones are the ones that bring us down and pull us down and handicap us. They define us in the wrong way and keep us in a prison. I'm sorry I haven't been looking into the camera and focusing on the folks here. Peter had such memories that Jesus had to come and reverse, to reverse those crippling emotions. In verse 15 through 17, Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. Most of us know this passage. Again, it could not have been lost on Peter why Jesus asked him three times. Because Peter denied him three times. Jesus was rewinding what happened on the night of his betrayal. The great physician of our soul deliberately led Peter back to that night for a reason. Why did he do that? Was it to turn the screws on Peter just for a bit for his big mistake? Or was it to test him like a do-over? No, Jesus asked these questions of, for Peter's sake, not for his sake. He asked Peter so Peter would know 
that Jesus accepted his confession of love. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. Jesus didn't need that information. In fact, Jesus told Peter, I've prayed for you, even though you're going to be sifted like wheat, that your faith would not fail. Jesus didn't need that information, but he wanted to put the confidence back in Peter's heart to remove all doubt. Peter would never have to wonder if God accepted him again. Jesus was healing Peter's memory, reversing the negative feelings from his past. Jesus took out the poison and the power of the devil to condemn Peter. The scar tissue was there, but it would now be a reminder of God's grace, not of his ugly failure. Do you have painful memories or things that you've done wrong? Fear not because Jesus comes to you and asks, do you love me? And he accepts your answer. The final point here I want to draw out, point number three, the last thing that Jesus does is to restore, in restoring us is to reaffirm our call. Three times Jesus told Peter, tend my sheep. In other words, your call is still intact. I called you to be a rock. I called you to be a pioneer, a church planter. And you're going to be that according to Matthew 16. You're going to be the rock on which my church will build, be built and the gate of hell, gates of hell will not overpower it. And I will continue to give you the keys of the kingdom. I've never withdrawn it. I never took it back and said, you're a failure. I'm going to give the keys to someone else. No. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter, go and do it. You're recommissioned. You're not put on the shelf or disqualified. You still got it. And I want you to still go for it. So shortly thereafter, this whole scene played out. We have the, the story given to us in Acts chapter 1, day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit fell on the 12, the 120 in the upper room, and they were transformed from lambs into lions, none more so than Peter. Whereas prior to the cross, Peter denied Jesus three times. Now Peter was proclaiming Jesus before the multitudes to the tune of 3,000 people. Now think about the sequence and what God did for Peter. What if the Holy Spirit baptized Peter and his scar tissue was not healed? He probably would have preached well, but the confidence, the foundation would not have been there. He would have been just still racked with insecurity. But God, the great shepherd, came to heal him so that when the power and the fire fell on him, he was ready to go. Peter and James, they were thrown in prison. Nevertheless, the Bible says they kept right on preaching. And the Pharisees and Sadducees noted their confidence. Peter wasn't a shrinking violet anymore. He wasn't thinking to himself, oh, I'm in prison. I'm being persecuted because of all the sins of my past. That's how we think when we don't understand the grace of God. God is punishing us. When I was here in Eden Prairie, I was a chaplain for the police force. And I would do these ride-alongs. And one particular night, I was with this um, policewoman. And we had our little introduction. And she must have felt some kind of guilt. And she said, oh, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't party last night. And, 
you know what, um, we're going to have a good ride along. And I just thought it was so unusual that the first words out of her mouth was, I didn't party last night and we're going to have a good ride along. As in, this, this rotation that we're going to have is going to be good and blessed because I didn't do anything bad. When we're not redeemed, our pagan mind, our fallen mind, thinks in terms of just retribution and punishment because we didn't act well. But that's not how the grace of God works. So Peter was not a shrinking violet anymore. He was now the leader that Jesus had called him to be. The scar tissue was there, but the effects of it was healed. Jesus made it all good. And beloved, Jesus will do that for you, every single one of you. Every single one of you that are watching on this stream, whether you're a regular member of this church or whether you're logging on for the first time, I hope that you receive some hope because this is what God specializes in. And so before Pastor Kent comes up to close, I'd like for us to just have a, a COVID minute of ministry. We're not going to have anyone come up or anything like that. But if you would just stand with me I want to pray for us. If you would just close your eyes. Just allow a moment of reflection. Maybe as I was sharing, you've been thinking about some scars, some traumas that you've had in your life. Jesus declares he will heal your scar tissue. He will redeem you. He will come to comfort you. He will bring you into freedom. There is nothing that you have done that's greater than the grace of God. There's nothing that you've committed that is greater than the blood of Jesus. There is no sin that you've committed that is more powerful than Calvary. Put your trust in the finished work of Jesus and his massive heart for you. As our heads are bowed, if you know that God is coming to touch an area of your life, some scar tissue, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for each and every person in this room today. I thank you, God, that you come to heal us like you healed Peter. Lord, we have a generation that's coming in that is just racked with all sorts of difficult situations and bad memories and tissue that needs to be healed, would your healing now come into each and every person that has raised their hand or otherwise? Let your grace flow. Let your healing flow. Let a change distinctly happen today. And may we go forth, God, in the same power that Peter and the apostles had. We take encouragement for how you pastored Peter through this time. And we receive it for ourselves now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated, Pastor Kent. Worship team, come on up. Let's, let's clap. Thank you. Praise the Lord. This is a year of freedom. It won't end on December 31st, but God has called this to be a year of freedom. And God loves us too much to let us 
remain limited, remain bound by scars of the past. Praise the Lord. Uh, we want to take an offering, as we do for our guest speakers. Um, in this season, the way we'll do that, there's electronic means to give online, to give text. There's also a box in the back. Um, but we want to bless Rich as he's flown out here. Rich didn't say this, but by coming out for this conference, he needs to quarantine for two weeks upon arrival back home. So a weekend trip becomes almost a three-week event for him. And so we really appreciate his um, willingness, as Rich said, to obey. There was God put it in his heart, and he's taken that step of obedience, and we want to bless him as he heads back home, back to his family in Canada, and gets some good home time during these two weeks of quarantine coming up. So thank you so much, Rich. Appreciate it, and I love you, brother. Thank you. Um, go ahead, guys. Uh, also, City Light's parents... Those who are over the fifth and have kids in the fifth and sixth grade, there's going to be a special meeting over there in the uh, blast room. It'll be brief right after the service. So if you're a parent or a fifth or sixth grader, please join in that meeting. Let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you that you love us too much to leave us broken, to leave us discredited, God but your grace is bigger. God, we thank you so much. Lord, it's not upon our righteousness, but upon the blood of Christ and his grace that has come to set us free. And Lord, you don't, I just feel this morning that you don't just want to bring us back to neutral, but God, you want to even use the things of the past, areas where you've healed us as areas that you want to use us in ministry to bring life and freedom to others as you did with Peter. Father, we thank you for your freedom that you bring us today. In Jesus' precious name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Go with God. If you're a guest, please greet me at the Welcome Center out there. Have a great week as you continue to serve the Lord and walk in his freedom. God bless you all. Yeah.